Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, a podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 126 of the Beers and Bible podcast. We are back from a short break uh, we have taken. And for the next couple of weeks, uh, by the way, this is Anthony. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, I am going to be joined by a good friend of mine, uh, pastor at the church where I, I get to serve on a weekly base, basis. His name is Brian Argo. So welcome, Brian. Hola. How y'all doing? It's a, it's going to be a good time. Brian, uh, Brian, we're going to talk about him in just a little bit, man. He's super interesting guy. I have gotten to know him since we, uh, my family moved back here to Alabama, um, and really enjoyed getting to know him. He's got a great story of just God working in his life and things that he's seen and done and, and just been all over the place. But one of the things that Brian has done, uh, he has worked for a group called reaching and is it reaching and teaching? Yeah, Reaching and Teaching International Ministries, but just Reaching and Teaching for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what they do is they train pastors all over the world, um, and they basically teach the Bible. So Brian is really smart when it comes to Bible stuff, more smarter than me. Yes, probably Uh, true. (laughs) That's true, buddy. But but we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, in just a minute, but Tonight, I'm going to have uh, a brew. Brian's going to pass because it's it's late, and he was talking something about indigestion. I'm, you know, I don't care about indigestion late at night. <laughs> um, but I have this beer that's been sitting in my fridge now for like I think two months, and I don't know how I haven't drank one um, because it actually looks pretty good. But it's from Evil Twin Brewing, and it's called the Before, During, and After Dinner Blend. It is a coffee stout with eight percent ABV. Oh, nice. And this thing, uh, yeah, it's that's, I mean, there's, I couldn't find anything on their website about it. So I don't really know what to talk about other than the fact that it's a coffee stout. Um, those are good, man. Like they the, are good. The Judge Roy Bean at uh, the Fairhope Brewery is a coffee I, stout. That's I need good. to do that one. I haven't, I've done a couple of Fairhopes on here, but I haven't done the, uh, the Judge Roy Bean there. It's good. Um, so I'm going to crack this thing open here. Mm-hmm. There's that crack. It's a cool looking can. It is. So it's just, I mean, it's just a plain black can with some coffee beans on it. If you're a coffee connoisseur, you're going to love this because it's just got a bunch of coffee beans on it. But I mean, it's just really dark, wonderful looking beer. You know, it's, uh, if you, when we started this podcast almost three years ago now, man, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Almost three years ago. If you would have told me that I was drinking coffee stouts on the regular, I probably would have laughed at you because I wasn't really a stout fan or a stout drinker. Yeah. And as I have drank more and more of them, they've really grown on me. This thing right here, I don't know if you can see it. It looks yeah, amazing. Yeah. The the foam on this thing looks like chocolate milk. Yeah, it does. So I'm actually a little excited about that. It smells really good. Man, that's that's 
that's dinner right there. <laughs> well, it is called before, during, and after dinner blends. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's appropriate for whatever whatever your your drinking entails. Um, while I'm waiting on this, the foam to go down on this thing a little bit, Brian, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, okay. what you've done, all that good stuff. Inter- introduce Brian Argo to the Beers and Bible family. All right. Well, uh, when I talk about it, I get exhausted because um, in the past, within the past 20 years, we have moved 18 different times, different houses. Um, and uh, so I'm originally from Bessemer, Alabama. I grew up there and I graduated uh, high school, McAdory High School, went to University of Mobile to prepare for ministry. I had no idea what ministry. I was a worship leader. Hook'em um, Rams. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> so I, I just, I, I've been leading worship since I was 14 years old and I did a lot of that. So I got into guitar and piano um, and led worship all through high school. And so I had an idea of generally doing that. So I went to school to prepare for ministry, but I was more on the theology pastoral side, but um, I really had no idea what I was going to do, honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, by the time I got to my junior year, um, I took a class with daily aunts called uh, biblical interpretation, which was just hermeneutics. And that's what we're talking about tonight. And so in that class, sidebar on this, Mm -hmm. if you, on this podcast, if you've ever heard me talk about the professor that says, read your Bible, that is Dale Yance. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Man, he'd shame me for not reading Bibles. Um, yep. But we, uh, so I took him for a lot of different things. I took him for Greek. I took him for mm-hmm. uh, theology. But the hermeneutics class was where, um, and I just, my eyes were opened to see that I could really read and understand the Bible. Mm-hmm. And um, so many things started coming alive. And he said that would happen once you learn just how to ask questions in scripture and realize that you're asking questions so you can know the living God. Yep. And that, um, and so that's what we're talking about tonight, but it was in that class. I just believed I was called to teach. I wanted to do what daily aunts had done for me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do that for others and just show them how to read the Bible. Not that I know how to perfectly do it, but I just, I, I read it and I'm, uh, I'm just astounded at what I find there and have yeah. for the, you know, for the past few decades. So, um, so I left there and went, served as a worship pastor for a few years, went to seminary at Beeson Divinity School. Um, but Sarah, you know, Sarah and I got married right before my senior year of, of, uh, of college, University of Mobile. Um, so we, we hit the ground running, man. When I graduated from University of Mobile. We had a baby by the fall. Oh, man. Started a family. We, we had, <laughs> had our first child on Monday. We moved uh, cities uh, on Friday, moved to Prattville, oh, Alabama gosh. to start our first, uh, church and we served there for five years. Um, and crossed it. So in the, in that time I started, we had another, uh, had a son while I started seminary. Then we had a daughter while I was still in school there. And then we ended up moving to back to the Birmingham area because, you know, the commute from Prattville to Birmingham, I was full-time student, full-time church was just killing us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved going, I loved Beeson. Uh, it's a great school. I think, um, and, uh, finished there in 2009 and, uh, Sarah and I were serving at a church, Riverside Baptist church in Helena. And, um, they offered me to come on as associate pastor of youth and discipleship after I graduated from Beeson. And, um, so, uh, we served there for four, four and a half, almost five years. Mm-hmm. And, um, really believe the Lord was 
he just put a burden on my heart to go places where there weren't resources for people. Yeah. And, um, I, I, you know, there are a lot of different things and I, uh, that led to that, but, um, through a friend, we got directed to, God directed us to Northern New York. And, uh, so we left Helena ended up in Saranac Lake, New York at a really small church that was kind of starting over. And, uh, they said, we just need more than anything, somebody to teach us the Bible. And, um, they had been without a pastor for a long time. It's really hard to get people to go to that region. It's a hard region, not a lot of churches, not a lot of Christians. And that really resonated with Sarah and with me. Um, so we went there and, uh, uh served there for a while. We weren't there as long as we you know, thought we were going to be. Mm-hmm. And I was, but I was able to hand the ministry off to a, a pastor in the area who was called a pastor and um, had been a youth pastor. And so he took over and still there. He's doing a fantastic nice. job there. Um, but we also came back to Alabama for a lot of different reasons. Um, but one was to pursue missions. You know, I mm-hmm. come across reaching and teaching and, and a talk about international theological education and missions. Mm-hmm. I never really looked at, you know, missions as an opportunity to do theological education. And so mm-hmm. we got rolling for you know, a lot of different things, applying for with agencies, talking with agencies and um, ended up reaching and teaching came across them and found out that they were just, I mean, they were just starting trips and um, I found out they were functioning as a sending agency. And so I inquired and I'd inquire with training leaders international as well. Talk with Darren Carlson via email. Um, and, uh, but reaching and teaching was, I don't know, it was new. It, was, it really seemed like a good fit. Um, and, uh, and the word just was, I believe directing us to, to that agency. So applied with him, started the ball rolling, but missed the process of getting to the field and it'll take a while. So Sarah and I were kind of like, well, we really would like to be back in a place that was under resource. So we went back to Northern New York oh, to Potsdam because, because another church there, um, uh, had been on a pastor for a long time and, mm-hmm. and it was a little bit bigger than Saranac Lake, a bigger town, but still like, you know, really far North, almost to Canada and, uh, loved it there. We were there for a year and a half before we, went to support raise and um, we left in 2016 to go raise support um, as reaching and teaching missionaries. We were destined for Oaxaca. That's another story, how we got to Oaxaca, Mexico. Um, <laughs> but by the fall of man, October, 2016, we were in Costa Rica for language school. Uh, you know, went through language school and uh, a year and a half in Costa Rica and then went to Oaxaca after that where there were six months. And, but, you know, we ended up back in the States, just some circumstances really, had not expected. Um, and, uh, you know, through things with, with Sarah's health, um, with, uh, where we were, we just, our church kind of heard the story and looked at where we were, looked at kind of stuff that Sarah was going through physically. Mm-hmm. Like we can't go, you've got to get treatment you know, any longer in the States. And uh, our church was kind of looking at the age of our kids and said, really think it's wise for you guys just to stay. We're not, we, we can't, we can't support you going back. Yeah. Um, so we kind of washed up at Mars Hill in Fairhope and, uh, through Joe Langley, uh, our mutual buddy. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he was such a good pastor to us, man. We were so discouraged and, um, didn't really know what was next. So I, but in the, in that time, uh, I was offered to come on stateside staff with reaching and teaching as a curriculum developer. So we were trying to take the material that we had at the time, which was, uh, hearts, heads and hands, a manual for teaching others to teach others and, um, develop that into training material for mm-hmm. short-term teams. So 
Um, it's a long, really complicated story about what I really did with them, but we developed modules. One of the main modules I worked on was hermeneutics. So we were trying to develop a way to, you know, train pastors in a workshop kind of way, not just yeah. teaching them about hermeneutics, but like apply it in that yeah. time, in that week, genre by genre. Um, so anyway, I got to work with them for two years stateside, but then I got the opportunity by God's grace uh, to come on staff full-time at Mars Hill as a worship pastor, a pastor of worship and mobilization. And I did, um, I, man, I've really loved uh, getting to know you, Anthony. Um, I've loved working with you, dude. Um, it has been a joy. You love serving and uh, it's just uh, such an encouragement to people. And you, just, you know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> Don't and, tell anybody that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but man, I, I just, I, I love uh, where I get to serve, where I get to work. Um, just the worship ministry people are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, just solid people, solid musicians and mobilization yeah. stuff, getting to work with volunteers and recruit people, uh, encourage them to serve. Um, you know, Sarah and I just, and now we live in Silver Hill. Um, and dude, we're just, we're really, really thankful for how the Lord's led us through a lot of bumps, you know, a lot yeah. of just crazy things, but we look back and we see, um, God graciously was leading us through a lot of yeah. things we didn't expect, but, um, it's really caused us to, we're way different people now. I'm so thankful yeah. for, for who we are now, uh, through what we've been through. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's the short version. I don't know how long it was. <laughs> um, there's a whole that's lot a good, of stuff left out. But. That's a good, that's a good intro to, to Brian. And, uh, man, I, I tell you, I, I echo him because I've, I've really enjoyed being back. I've served at Mars for a while and, and on the podcast, I've talked about my time with Mars. Um, you know, I, I really, I spent about eight years with them and then took a five year, six year hiatus. No longer than that, almost an eight year hiatus. Um, 14 really that long no i guess it was about six years because it was 2014 till 2020 so maybe five and a half years six years okay um but joe joe's always been one of my my best friends great friends and uh i've spent i have spent uh i've seen more of joe than than most people ever want to see in their life i traveled in a band (laughs) with joe for four years and so there (laughs) that's the old days um but Brad Hill, the the worship and missions guy at the Mobile campus, um, yeah, love that. just great. Mars Hill is a great staff, um, yeah. and and it's a it's a great place to serve. And it's you know it's funny because we we've talked about it before, but like people like me and like you, kind of tend to drift toward Mars Hill because we end up with stories of of like burnout and just kind of being burned by certain not necessarily evil people in the church, but just circumstances in the church and things that just. Yeah kind of happen not it's not really anybody doing anything wrong but it just you end up in this place where you're like god i just need to stop and then you kind of and you end up at this at morris hill and you're like this is so nice yeah (laughs) i know man we got there one sunday we didn't even look around and we got there one sunday and i was kind of like i just i don't want to go anywhere else When we when we moved back here from from Georgia, um, you know, I had worked on staff at another church in town in Fairhope, and there was a lot of people who were like, "Oh, are you going to go back to that church?" And I was like, "Meh, probably not. Going to go back to Marcel." <laughs> yeah, it's so, not it's not perfect. It's, it's, it's we're no we're so, that's the thing. That's that's the great thing. It's just we know we're not. 
Um, yeah, we don't try to be. We don't want to be. No, and I don't have to tuck my shirt in ever. And, and awesome. I, I don't even wear shoes most Sundays. I mean, <laughs> that's true. You don't. And I respect that. That's right. Oh, man. Well, dude, this coffee stout here is pretty good. I'm drinking um, coffee. You're, that's close enough. Close um, enough, yeah. This thing has a really good chocolatey flavor. For those of you who like to, mm. to hear our beer reviews, this thing has a really good chocolatey flavor. Um, so when I drink coffee, I drink it black with sugar. And this almost reminds me of like black coffee with sugar in it. That's that's the huh. flavor that I'm getting from it. Um, it's not really heavy. I kind of expected it to be a little heavier than it is being a stout, but it's not super heavy. Um but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and rate this thing for all you who want to know uh, where this is coming in. This is gonna come in at four out of five Luthers for me. Um, the Evil Twin Brewing. You like my Luther rating? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> the Evil Twin Brewing before, during, and after dinner blend comes in. Uh, we'll give it four out of five Luthers. Uh, so be sure to head over and and check them out if you're in the Lower Alabama area. You can find them at Cottage Hill Package in Mobile. Um, if you're not, they're from New York, evil twin brewing is from New York. So I'm not sure how we got it all the way down here, but we somehow managed Ooh. to. So I'm glad for them because it's, uh, it's pretty good. I'm, I'm I, I don't know that I would have more than one of these at a time because it's, it is, it's kind of rich, but, uh, but it's, still if you want your heart good. to keep beating, if you want it's your heart true. to keep beating, just drink one. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, um, well, over the next couple of weeks, uh, Brian and I are going to kind of set up what Michael and I are going to, the the project Michael and I are going to take on after this kind of initial setup here. And we, we alluded to it before our break. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the, really the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, what each book of the Bible is about. And, and so kind of after Brian and I dissect some of this stuff about hermeneutics and um, the, the typographical stuff in the Bible. And, um, you know, we could use all the fun seminary words like archetypes and, uh, homiletics and actually homiletics would just be preaching, but, um, the different literary structures of the Bible, different literary styles of the Bible, um, all of those things affect and should affect the way that we read it. And, and so, when we come back from the break, we're going to dive into this. And tonight, we're just going to kind of give a, a broad intro to how we should read the Bible, what version of the Bible we should read. You know, um, I, I, I know this is going to surprise Brian, but I am a King James only guy. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and I was almost had me. I was like, oh. I was trying to be, I was trying to be sly there for a second, but it didn't work. But, but uh, we're just going to give a, a really quick overview of. You know, just some things to think about when you're approaching the Bible. And then we're going to give a 900,000 foot view of the Old Testament. We're going to cover the entire Old Testament in like 20 minutes. That's not true. Y'all know I can't go. I can't go for less than 20 minutes. So, um, but we are going to, we're going to come into the Old Testament. We're going to talk about the Old Testament um, for, for a couple of weeks. And then, and then we're going to talk about the New Testament for a couple of weeks. And that's going to set up what Michael and I are going to come back and do, which is going to be, we're going to walk book by book all the way through the Bible. And we're just going to kind of give overviews and talk about the theological implications of each book and, and all that kind of fun stuff. So stick with us and uh, we're, we're going to be right back.
Well, we want to welcome you back to our conversation. Brian has joined me here tonight, and we're going to talk about how we can read the Bible. Um, I'm going to put some show notes in here, and the book that we're going to be kind of focusing on um, as far as the the podcast here is, is a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by a guy named Gordon D. Fee and Douglas Stewart. Um, and, and what they do in this book is it's really a super slim down, almost like introduction version to how we can better approach the Bible, how we can read the Bible, um, how we can understand the Bible. And they take a lot of stuff and really condense it down into some really applicable points all the way through. So I'm going to recommend everybody just go pick up a copy of this book and just read it. Yeah, because it'll totally be worth it. I promise you. It's like the the Bible version of Mortimer Adler's book, How to Read a Book. Yes, that is that. It, it, it's that book teaches you. It sounds stupid. Like, why would I read a book on how to read a book? How to read a book? But his 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 book is about how to read different types of books. Mm-hmm. You know, general principles that apply that apply across the board. Um, general questions that you ask, but how you read a book affects what you gain from it, or the mm-hmm. questions that you ask and. So it's kind of like that. I mean, I, I'm with you, man. I highly recommend this book. It it just uh, because of how it's structured and yeah. helps you read uh, yeah the different genres of scripture. It does, and there. I mean, the the thing is, you can't read Daniel the same way you read Psalms, and you can't read Matthew no. the same way you read Revelation. You know, just because both of those are in the Old Testament and both are in the New Testament doesn't mean they're exactly the same, and you can't read them like they're exactly the same. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people end up with you know, what we would call bad hermeneutics and, and you, what Michael and I have talked about and Brian knows all about eisegesis, you know, when you read something the wrong way, you end up in eisegesis and you end up saying, what can I, you know, put onto this text versus what can I draw from this text? What is this text teaching me? And so, you know, the difference between eisegesis and exegesis. So, when we talk about reading the Bible and we know there's a bunch of different things, part of reading the Bible and just kind of part of reading in general is interpreting. You have to be able to interpret what you read. And so if we say, you know, what, what kid, what should I interpret from the, from the Bible or how should I interpret from the Bible? Um, the, the, one of the quotes, and and I'm going to give a couple of quotes from this book tonight, but one of the quotes that I really liked from, from this book was, Uh, the aim of a good interpretation should be to get the plain meaning of the text. And that is, I mean, that's what we're talking about when we say exegesis is getting the plain meaning of the text. When you read that text, the way that the author intended it to be read by the original reader, what is that plain meaning right there? What were they trying to understand and what were they trying to convey? So when you're into the plain meaning of the text and you're talking about interpreting, you're talking about exegesis versus eisegesis, there's there's really there's two basic questions that you want to ask of every text. Um, and this is where exegesis is going to come from. What is the context and what is the content? Yeah. So let, let's just talk about that for just a just a second. What is the context and what is the content? Um, so and I remember Dr. Yance used to say that all the time. He said that if the when St. Augustine was asked about the three you know, cardinal rules for the Christian life. He's are three cardinal virtues. He said mm-hmm. humility, humility, and humility. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Yant's Yant stressed that three keys to interpretation are 
context, context, and context. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> he used to say that all the time. And it's understanding, I mean, I guess understanding what it meant so that you can understand what it means. Yeah. Uh, if you, as, as best as you can put it in its setting, you know, when it was delivered um, and to the audience, the author, um, uh, the original author, what would it have been like to hear this? And then mm -hmm. go from, go from there to understand, well, what does that mean to me, to us now? And we've been the hermeneutics the process of crossing that, yeah. um, you know, the, the divide of, of history, of culture, worldview, um, language. And, uh, and those are significant things, you know, but yeah. Um, so getting at the context is not necessarily, it's not an easy task, but I think there's something more fundamental to that. You know, it's, the Bible was never simply meant to inform. It's, mm -hmm. it's meant to change and transform us. And we're, we're the difference between reading Shakespeare and reading the Bible is that we're sitting down with a living God and yeah. he's spoken. And so we're asking questions so that we may know him, uh, mm -hmm. not simply acquire information, but to be changed more into the likeness of his son. So, so that's, at, that's, that's on the line there. That's what we, that's foundational. And so we're asking questions um, to ascertain the meaning, right? What did it mean then? And it can't mean something now that it didn't mean then. Mm -hmm. you know, I can't draw a totally new meaning out of it. That's one thing Fee and Stewart say, you know, it can't, the Bible, it can't mean now what it didn't mean then. That's right. Um, and, and that's just fundamental, but trying to put things as, as best we can in its original, you know, uh, setting, you know, how to whom was it delivered by him, how, and yeah, you know, what's the genre of it and what does it say about God fundamentally? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think those, I think that's yeah, what we're trying to get at when we talk about context. Yes. And then, yeah. and then also the theological scope of the Bible and that St. Augustine's two rules were the rule of faith, the analogy of faith. And so the rule of faith uh, being the theological survey, the theological mm -hmm. unity of the Bible. Right. So, so if we find ourselves on the out in left field theologically, we've got to wonder, okay, the, their theology kind of guides us back. Like, we don't, you know, if we're finding some new revelation, oh, nobody saw that 2,000 years for a reason. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, you, so you kind of have theological guardrails, the rule of faith, and you got the analogy of faith, and that's biblical theology, the, mm -hmm. the, the flow, the, you know, the history of redemption. Um, and that's another guardrail, you know, that yeah. comparing Scripture, Scripture interprets Scripture. So those are two guiding principles. When we talk about context, we're talking about a whole Bible, not just the yeah. context of the book or the passage, but the whole, whole story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about the context and understanding the context of the Bible, part of that is, is really going to come down to uh, a translation. And, and this is, you know, their wars fought over this, you know, you got your, your King James crowd and you got your yeah. ESV crowd and your CSB crowd. And, you know, uh, as I was growing up, I, I grew up, I was a child of the NIV. So, I mean, that's, that was just, that Me was too. the popular, that was the one that I, I read growing up just because it was the most popular one. It's not my favorite now, but you know, I think it's important and, and let's talk about this for just a minute. I think it's important to have more than one translation that you read, but you have to also understand the difference of what yeah. each one of those translations is trying to do. Yeah. So what, what translations would you recommend to somebody who's like, you know what, I've read the Bible a little bit, uh, but I don't know that I understand it. And so 
I need a little bit of help from different translations. What would be your recommendations to to readers of the Bible? I I got uh, I, I got asked that in this past uh, Ecclesia Academy course I was teaching, nice. you know, kind of a hermeneutics course, basic, mm-hmm. really basic hermeneutics course. Um, and one person asked, you know, he I, I use the ESV in class. Mm-hmm. I read ESV every day. Um, that's what we used in seminary. Um, and in college, we used the New American Standard. Mm-hmm. And in high school, we used the um, new international version. Um, so, but, but for years I've used the ESV and, um, uh, I, I personally, I liked the, the revised standard version that the ESV is really based on for language and flow of the, the language. It, and I think it's just great. Um, but the ESV has, t- anyway, so I was, so the guy came up to me and asked is, you know, I have a new living translation. Is this mm-hmm. okay? And I'm like, I think it's, um, it's, it serves a purpose and you got to understand the purpose. What yeah. I recommend is, you know, you, you have, you, you, you talk about different types of versions. They serve different purposes. You got one that's more literal, like the New American Standard is kind of wooden English, but it's yeah. still literal. King James is literal. Um, and uh, the like in Spanish, you know, we use the Reina Valera. That's really literal. And that's yeah. old. And so pe- the people are in Latin America are that way about the Reina Valera. That's the King James. You, know, you don't <laughs> use other versions. Yeah. Um, there's a new Bible. Uh, but so I, I'd recommend it. I said, I recommend using, a, you know, either using a parallel or just have these out. But the reason I like something like the, the new living translation is because well, number one, I have professors who worked on that translation, mm-hmm. but the idea was not to so much provide a translation is almost like it's a, an explanatory, uh, phrase for phrase or thought for thought dynamic right. um, to help you get the idea. And that's mm-hmm. the problem. You may get the literal sense, but you miss the idea. Yeah. And something like the NIV, but more so like the New Living Translation. And there are others um, that help you get the idea and the flow Mm -hmm. um, that I think is really helpful. But I I still recommend starting with a a literal and then working side by side with some kind of paraphrase that helps you get the the sense of of what's what's being said. Yeah. Something that I've done in my in my studies over the the couple of years is if I'm doing if I'm doing actual like study, like I want to, I want to get to the meaning of the text. I want to get to the original languages, things like that. Mm -hmm. I'll use a more literal version, even though it's harder to read. Right. Um, And I mean, you think about, you mentioned the NASB I've, I've got the, I actually, I'm looking at it now. It's a Thompson chain reference NASB Bible right up here, (laughs) you know, that I've used used in college. It's a great, it's, it's hard to read and the block, you know, the block way they do, Verses is weird, but when it comes down to just getting to the words of the text, you you really can't beat a literal Bible. And that's that's the one things I love about literal Bibles and, and the way that you can yeah. study them. But on the flip side of that, there are times where I just want to read the Bible. I don't want to make notes in it. I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to think really hard as I'm reading, I just want to, I want to take in a story. I want to meditate on scripture. Meditate, and so, yeah. and so I'll read, I'll pick up a more dynamic version of the Bible. Um, and I, you know, personally me, I use, um, I've used the NLT, but I'll actually go back to the NIV uh, because mm-hmm. it's just, it's one I grew up on and it is a little bit more dynamic. It's more thought yeah. for thought. Um, and so you have, it's a little easier to see the stories flow and to see how things go. And especially if you have that literal in the background, it makes that thought for thought process a little bit easier to, to go through in your mind as you're reading. And so, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. you know, 
I think that's why it's important to to take both sides of the spectrum. Don't don't be an uber literalist guy that says you can only read, you know, the King James or the ESV or something like that. And don't right. be the guy that's like, oh, everything has to be sunshine and bunnies, and we're only going to read these dynamic versions of the Bible because neither one of those serve a purpose. But when you bring them together and you you draw the best out of both of them, you can really begin to see a hermeneutic in your scripture reading and in your scripture study that will help you to understand where the author was coming from and what the reader would have understood. Yeah. And it's really neat. It's really neat to see when you compare translations, let's say you take, um, take King, if you go Bible works used to do this. I loved you. I use that all the time through Mm -hmm. seminary. And then, um, because verse by verse, it would allow me to look at, you know, different translations and, Yep. Justin, if you if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, um, but you're just looking at the different translations, the more literal, and then take maybe one dynamic mm-hmm. equivalency translation, and you can see some of the linguistic issues and some of the yeah. translation issues, how things are rendered differently. They kind of show you the range of meaning of a word. Right. And if you learn how to use like a strong concordance with the coded words, you kind of see the the you start to see the decisions that mm-hmm. that translators have to make and they do have to make decisions. Yeah. Um, they can't just leave something rendered every way it can be rendered like the amplified yeah. Bible. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you got to make a decision like, yeah. like the ESV people with Ephesians one and with first Peter, you know, first Peter one, like um, that he has caused us to be born again. First Peter mm-hmm. one, as opposed to, I forget how the NIV puts it, but they soften that sense of God's sovereign act in uh, yeah. regeneration, right? Um, and in Ephesians one, it, it kind of softens the the, the predestination part, mm-hmm. um, and uh, at least as far as God's sovereign act, it's yeah. more of His His purpose in doing it. And so, um, so you have to make theological decisions when you translate. But when you use different versions, you kind of at least see where the tension is, and right. I think that's helpful too. Yeah. You know, one of the things that that you've heard me say on this podcast multiple times is you, we need to be outside of our echo chambers. And I think that's something that reading multiple translations can do is is it can get you outside of your echo chamber where, right. you know, I, I'll the the ESV is a more the reason Calvinists like it is because it's it's definitely more straightforward on things like predestination election. Um, right. That's, you know it draws that it was translated that way. And so you get a different translation. You grab something else. that's maybe a little bit softer, like an NIV or, or really even the CSB of course, you know, the CSB has gotten accused of being the Calvinist Bible too. So, um, but you, you have these, you have these different translations and you're really, I mean, it's almost like reading different commentaries on, on scripture because, you're going to you're going to see it differently from a different when it's worded differently and so it helps you as a reader and learner of the bible it helps you to understand the full range of what the words in the original text actually lend themselves to because right. i mean both greek and hebrew and I, and i'm not a greek scholar i'm not a hebrew scholar i know a little bit because i took it in college but right. you know the, what I do know about Greek and Hebrew is that man, you could one inflection in a word or one different declension in a noun completely changes a lot of stuff. And even the way that we would read a you know a second person plural 
um, nominative declension in Greek, you know, the way we would read that is in America is a little bit different than the way a Greek would understand that or, uh, uh, you know, somebody who was in the biblical time would have understood that. And so it's always important to understand how we can read it and why it is translated the way it is translated. But at the same time, understand that 20th century Americans are not the intended audience of 100% of the Bible. <laughs> well I mean, put. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not even 98%. It's 100% of the Bible man. was not yeah. written for Americans. It's not, not written for gringos, man. No. So it's, it, it, I want y'all, I want you guys, I want everybody to hear that and say, uh, okay, it, it, it is a joke, and yes, it's funny, but man, so many times we hear people say things and talk about things like the Bible was written to modern-day Americans, and and we just can't have that mindset. We can't afford to have that mindset, and we have to keep a biblical perspective on these things, and as we dive through Old Testament and New Testament, I want you guys to keep that in mind because we're going to be talking about literary genres and literary things that really and truly are kind of foreign to American language. And I, and I think that's what makes it so hard a lot of times for, for, I mean, me, myself to, to really take the time and understand what scripture is actually teaching us because so many times I want to put my 20th century American spin on it, 21st century American spin on it and say, well, this is how that makes sense. It's really easy if you just look at it this way. When it's 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 more hard, it's more difficult to say, no, I want to understand how a first century Jewish scribe would have understood this and why they read it this certain way and why they wrote it down this way. Yeah. Because they had a reason for all that. And you know, that's that's the reason that we have um that we have fifty, was it fifty seven hundred different copies, different manuscripts of the New Testament to be able to validate like 99.9% of the actual text of the right. New Testament. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy when you start getting into textual criticism, the the um, the plethora that you have to draw from. Um, I, I think I've, I was in an apologetics course one time and they, they said that the New Testament is the most attested historical document in the entire history of literature. Yeah. There, there are no other books with more direct copies of it than than the New Testament. So I, th- I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, yeah. Tidbit. But but it's one. But historically, like even a few generations removed from it, uh, you got in a patristic period, and then you get into the you get the transition to early Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Theologians have always struggled with context and how to yeah. understand culturally the bible and augustine struggled mm-hmm. so hard to understand the old testament uh i mean not just him i mean you know uh before him i mean ambrose same way mm-hmm. you know, so allegor you know, origin of alexandria clements you know same thing yeah. so let's allegorize it because we can't really make any other sense of it that's right um, because it because <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't agree with our sensibilities it doesn't agree with our own culture Right, and therefore the only explanation is that this is some kind of high and holy symbolism. You know, yeah. this is this must be allegorical. Um, the cool thing about them, though, even though they allegorized, the reason they went to that is because they did assume and hold together that the Bible is one unit. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it is it's one story, and so it, it must harmonize with yes. what they say in the New Testament. Um, unlike you know um, somebody like Marcion, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but they did take for granted the Bible was a harmony. You know, yeah. God spoke it, and there's not conflict. So to make sense of it, let's allegorize it. Um, mm-hmm. But the, but the churches theologians have always struggled with context. It's like you get into one context, you find below that there's another context. Um, it's, it's crazy. You start you keep peeling back the onion, man. Yes. Uh, and it's just yes. another layer of context. It is as deep as you want to go. The Bible will, yeah. will be there and, and won't disappoint you. No, it won't. And that's, I mean, one of the, one of the quotes, I think it might've been Dale Yance that said this, um, or at least he, he said it in his class. Um, he said, you know, the Bible is deep enough, that the wisest theologian will never reach the bottom, but it's shallow enough that the newest Christian can still dive yeah. in yeah. and, and, and can understand and can read and can learn from what God has to teach them through, through scripture. That's right. And so, so we're going to roll into this and we're going to talk just for a little bit about the old Testament. Um, you know, there is, there is a lot of genres of writing in the old Testament and, and I, I, I guess kind of as we set up the Old Testament, one of the things we should mention, and I think I've mentioned this before um, in previous episodes, is Scripture has what what uh, theologians call a meta narrative. So a meta narrative is just a large overarching narrative. Um, that narrative is creation, fall, redemption, consummation. The majority of what you read in Scripture is going to fit into one of those four, I guess, categories or it's going to be telling you something about the story of God. I mean, the scripture is the story of God. And so, you know, let's talk Genesis. Genesis is going to teach us about the creation, the start of mankind, the start of the world as we know it. Um, You know, it also opens up debates, old earth, young earth, you know, what all of these things stem from God as creator, you know, and then you have the fall. You also have the fall coming in there. Uh, and then the New Testament leads to uh, redemption, where you have the story of Jesus. All of really and truly, actually, the Old Testament teaches about redemption as well. When you talk about the nation of Israel and all of the yeah. grace that God showed them throughout kings and judges and um, that whole thing. <laughs> um, but but it ultimately points to Christ. And then, of course, consummation is, you know, the resurrection of Christ and uh, and he's going to come back for his bride. And so as we talk about each one of these things and as we talk about these different books over the next two years that we're going to be doing this, um, keep that meta narrative in mind, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, because everything will fit into one of those four categories when it comes to Bible literature, the Bible story, the Bible narrative. It's all going to fit into that grand story that is the telling of God's story, which is what humans are here for, that we are here to be the telling of God's story. And so so the Old Testament really is, I mean, when you think about it, a lot of the Old Testament is narratives. Even when you get into the prophets, um, you obviously have the Kings and the Chronicles, which are just, you know, running you through. Um, even even guys like John Salehammer make the argument that the Pentateuch is a narrative, um, and, and yeah. it, it it tells the story of God's people, the beginning of God's people. And so, let's talk just a little bit about what narratives are in Scripture. Mm-hmm. 
I want to thank you all for joining us tonight as Brian and I have discussed uh, the setup of what is going to become our series on uh, how to read the Bible for all it's worth and then how to read the Bible book by book. Um, join us again next week. Brian and I are going to continue this discussion. Uh, I've broken this up into a couple of different parts, but Brian and I are going to continue discussion focusing on the Old Testament and narratives in the Old Testament and how we as Christians should read these narratives in the Old Testament uh, and how we can better read them to understand them on how to correctly apply them to our lives. Uh, so I thank you for joining us this week. And until next week, I hope your beer stays cold and your Bible stays open and we will see you later. <laughs>